go ahead and get started. Uh, thank you all for being here. Um, so, I am not Smith. Uh, if this is your first time visiting, uh, I encourage you to come back next week. Uh, our, our lead planter, Smith, will be preaching. I'm just kind of the fill-in. So if you don't love the teaching, come back next week. But it is Palm Sunday. It is uh, the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, it's, it's an exciting time. We have a lot of things coming on uh, here at Oikos. Tonight we're having a college-specific uh, worship event at 7 o'clock here tonight in our coffee shop area. So I encourage you, if you have any college students, uh, know any friends, bring them tonight. We're having a great time of worship, have some snacks. Uh, but we also have, it's all, yeah, all about the snacks. Uh, also, uh, this upcoming Friday, which is Good Friday, we're going to have a service here, I believe at 6 p.m. We're going to have a, an event for the kids downstairs. We're going to have a little skit. They're going to learn about Passover. The adults will have worship. I'm sure if uh, you would like a skit, Smith could do some sort of impromptu one-man show. But uh, That's right. Uh, but that's this Friday at 6 p.m. And of course, Easter Sunday, we'd love to have you here as we worship and celebrate uh, our uh, resurrected Savior Jesus. <coughs> so today we are talking about our uh, third or our second temptation. We are in the third part of our series, If You Are, which is our Lent series leading up to Easter. And today we're looking at our second temptation, which talks about ambition. But before we get into that, let's, let's pray. Holy Father, we, we love you, Lord. We come to your feet to worship and adore you. Uh, as uh, we think about the, the Passion Week, the week of Jesus in Jerusalem, uh, we're in awe of a Savior who chose to go to the cross, who chose to walk the path of, of a servant, of humility, to, to bring us closer to you, to bring us in your presence, Lord. We pray that we're full of awe and reverence for the fact and that it changes us and transforms us through your grace. Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's read our text and we'll get going. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to follow along. We'll be starting in verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now before we get into um, our, our text this morning, I think we need to answer the question, what is worship? What, you know, what is worship? We'll see if we we'll get this to work. Uh, there we go. Uh, you know, when we think about worship, the, uh, our definition kind of is uh, allegiance. It's obedience. It's what we give as an offering, our, our dependence, our full submission to. This, this word, kind of literally, when you look at its parts, means to, to kiss the feet of. It's to, to bow the knee towards something. And I think this is important because what we're going to see is that's kind of the heart of our temptation, is that the devil is wanting Jesus's worship. He's wanting Jesus's allegiance. Um, and what we're going to find is that we all worship without exception. We are beings made to worship, to bow down to something else. Uh, James K. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love, and in it he writes this. To be human is to be for something, directed towards something, oriented towards something. To be human is to be on the move, pursuing something, after something. We are like existential sharks. We have to move to live. We're not just static containers for ideas. We are dynamic creatures directed toward some end. Now, I'm sure you won't expect it to be called a shark this morning, but that's where we are. But you see what 
James K. is saying is that the question is not whether you will bow down, but the question is to what are we going to give our obedience to? What are we going to give our allegiance to? Um, and to really answer that question, it's what we desire, what we hope for, it's what we long for, it's the direction of our hearts. So when we think about worship here, let's think less of, you know, Jesus is putting down his God hymnal, picking up a, a devil hymnal. What Satan, what the devil is wanting is Jesus' heart. I think it's really important when we think about this temptation. I think another way to think of this is, what do we view that we most need? Where does our hope come from? Because you see, we are, we may be sharks, where we have to be constantly on the move towards something, but we are also souls. We've been made in the image and likeness of God, and because of that, we are made to be in God's presence. But we know that we do not fully live in that state right now. We live in a broken world. And because of that brokenness, light is, is trying to figure out uh, a solution, an answer to the messiness of the world we live in, something to make sense of it. So we find, we look for systems and structures and kingdoms to say, is this, does this solve a problem that I see all around me, right? Um, but we know that the only thing that does that is Jesus, it is the kingdom that God is going to bring. But that's what we're looking for. What, what's going to give me the good life? What's a life of flourishing? What's a life of peace and abundance? So in, in the brokenness, we look for a system to fill that. This, again, is how uh, James K.A. would say it. It's a question, not of whether you long for some version of the kingdom, but of which you long for. This is true for any human being. It is a structure feature of human creatureliness. You can't not love. And this is important because we love what we worship, but what we worship is also what we become. Whatever we give our adoration to, our allegiance to, slowly over time shapes us into that likeness. So the path of discipleship, learning to live like Jesus, to worship God, is to become like God. So when we get underneath the, our, our root of this temptation, the devil is wanting Jesus to not become like his father, but to become like the devil. Because someone like the devil is not going to take the long road to crucifixion. Someone like that is not going to go through the through the pain and the suffering that the Son of God will and does. So that's worship. So it is allegiance, devotion. We are made to worship. And then also we are, or we become what we worship. So let's look at what this offering is. What is, what is the devil really trying to get after? First part we're going to talk about is uh, the devil led him up to a high place. Uh, if you're familiar with your Bible, this might kind of set off some biblical theme alarms, right? This high place. We see it a lot in the Old Testament. And I think one of those allusions is to Genesis 11, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, in this story, we know that God's people, we have like uh, the beginning, creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the flood, and we get to Genesis 11, and we have God's people are becoming uh, like creative, like they're inventing things, they're figuring how to work with clay, and we read this. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered through the face of the whole earth. I remember in Houston, we were doing youth ministry, and we were studying uh, Genesis and going through this story. Because right after this, they say this, God says, comes down from heaven to the tower, kind of emphasize, you know, we weren't quite close, we weren't quite to the heavens yet. But it says that he gives them all sorts of different languages and scatters them across the world. I remember we were studying this with teenagers, and we had a young man who was just uh, 
was such a hard worker. He, he always would ask these really intentional questions. Uh, he was the type of guy that always wanted to do things the right way, almost to like a fault. Like it'd be Saturday morning, we're leaving for a retreat. We said we leave at nine, it's nine to five. We say, why don't we look It's time to go. Let's go to the room. But he was driven, he was ambitious, he had his life planned out. And I could tell he was kind of bothered by this. And he asked in class, why did God do this? Like, what is so wrong with ambition? What is so wrong with trying hard? What's so wrong with you know, uh, moving forward progress? Um, so I had learned a you know, trick. Well, I, I want to answer it. We'll see if the class can give us an answer here. Uh, I remember a junior high girl saying, well, if you look at what we're reading, God doesn't really seem to be part of their decision making, right? God seems to be nowhere in that. And it seems as if, you notice here, uh, otherwise, that we may make and name ourselves otherwise. You see, they wanted security. They wanted to worship something, bow down to something, to determine and make sure that they would be successful. But God was not part of that. So that, that day in class, we came to the conclusion that Ambition, success, working hard is not necessarily the problem, but it's what we hope those things accomplish as the problem. If we want to do things on our own, if we can make our own security, if we can make our own kingdom and not rely on God, that's where it becomes allegiance and worship to something else. So what is the offer? It's that you can worship what you can accomplish. Worship what you can accomplish. Uh, and this comes out in ambition in a huge way. Because... Uh, God's people here said, let us build our own empire so that we may not be scattered. Let us do this on our own so that we can determine for sure that this is what's going to happen. Let's take control. Uh, I also love in the section that we may make a name for ourselves. Uh, how many of us seek security in titles, in status? If I can get to this rung in the ladder, then everything's going to work out. Then I can control my destiny. Now, Arthur Brooks is, uh, do not remember over COVID, like there was this Harvard professor who got kind of, you know, uh, well-known because he was teaching classes on happiness. Uh, Arthur, Arthur Brooks wrote a book called From Strength to Strength. And in it, he talks about this conversation he's having with a woman who is, uh, has done well for herself. She's climbed the corporate ladder, but her life is kind of miserable. She's distant from her uh, older children. There's a separation between her and her spouse. And, and she says this in the conversation. Maybe I would prefer to be special rather than happy. Anyone can do the things it takes to be happy. Go on vacation, spend time with friends and family. But not everyone can accomplish great things. You see, I think this is like the 2022 version of the Tower of Babel. Is that if I can get my position, if I can get my status, I think I'd rather have that than be happy, because at least I can make sure this happens. This woman seems to have created a kingdom for ourselves where she could control it, she could reach this. But it was, there was a, a top to it, right? There was a, uh, happiness seems to not have been a part of it, but being special, being elevated, was the end result of it. So ambition is kind of what we're talking about. It's the kind of underlining theme of our, um, worship, to, in our, of our worship today. And I think that's true. I think that's how it comes out for a lot of us. But I think the, the flip side of ambition, of the same coin, is apathy. Because ambition is the temptation to control. I can work hard enough. I can worship what I accomplish. But a lot of us might be thinking, well, I, I have an entry-level job. I'm a student. Like, I'm not a CEO of a company. This isn't really my thing. 
But I think Atkin does the exact same thing, because if I don't try, if I don't fail, then I, I won't get hurt, I won't be embarrassed. If I stay right here, if I don't step out of faith, or if I don't you know, go and try this thing, then I'm still running my own kingdom. I still have security with not doing. It's, it's the same motivation, it's the same reliance on self and not God. So ambition or apathy, I think, is how this plays out in our lives today. And I think it's important to remember that this, this desire, this uh, you know, seeking after security, after home, is not a bad motivation. In fact, I think God has made us that way so that we, our souls are brought to God. That that's what we essentially find our home in, is the presence of the Lord. But along the way, that motivation and that worship, that obedience and allegiance can be directed towards something else. Because if you look at Jesus here, the, the authority and the splendor is not the problem. That's why he came to earth, to die on the cross, to reign uh, on heaven and earth. But it's all about timing. It's all about taking. Let's look at this. Matthew 28. So this is uh, post-resurrection. Uh, there has been victory over death. And Jesus says this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then in Revelation 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. You see, the, the offering itself, authority, kingdoms, glory, that is Jesus' to have. But it's all about timing, it's all about control, and not relying on the Lord. That's, that's kind of the, the crux of our temptation here. Let's look at, uh, so, worship what you can accomplish. What does this offer? This is also the question of God's goodness. I think there's another illusion here happening with uh, where it says that the devil took him to a high place, took him to a high place. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, over and over and over again, God takes a leader of his people, takes them to a mountain, and makes a deal with them. Right? He makes a covenant, he makes a promise with them. That's all throughout the Old Testament. So I think what's happening here is that the devil is taking Satan up to a high place and saying, how about we make a new deal? What if, you know, what if God's promises don't actually happen? But you see, to question God's promises is to then question, is God good? Because if God does not keep his promises, if he is not good, if he is not fair in the way in which we see it, then we have to create our own backup plan. We have to take control for things to go the way that we want them to. So this going up to the high places to question God's goodness. Will he take care of us? Is his home that he is offering, his presence, what our souls really need? And in the day to day, the, the goings, uh, that gets hard to answer sometimes. It's hard to say, yes, this is what I truly need. Because we have so many things vying for our allegiance, so many things vying for our devotion. Well, let's look at uh, our next part of this. Showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, Smith talked about this a bit last week, so we won't spend too much time on it, but we live in an age where we are being shaped and formed by convenience and how quickly we can have things brought to us. You know, I, I get upset when I wait longer than five minutes in the line of Chick-fil-A, and I expect them to tell me it's my pleasure, right? Um, we can uh, get food ordered to us. We can uh, have things in a moment. And those are not necessarily bad things, but how is it shaping us in the long run? I think one of the ways in which this shows up, I think in all of this, that still kind of runs this line of ambition is, how quickly do we try to escape reality into something else? You know, when life gets too stressful, when life gets too much, you know, I'm, I'm losing control of my kingdom, I need to grab back hold, how many of you escape into 
something to become our own little gods. If it's a relationship, if it's uh, TV shows, video games. I, now, don't again, don't hear me wrong. I'm a huge nerd. Love board games, D and D. Um, but we sometimes go to those things for security, to escape from reality and be in our own place. But they're not necessarily bad. But I think there's a fear there of, in moments of stress, in moments of need, year after year, five, 10, 20 years down the line, if our initial reaction is to go into a false reality and not the presence and the rest of God, what does that do to the direction of our hearts over time? Over and over and over again. We escape from what's really happening, not face what's going on, giving that to the Lord. I think at some point our hearts get directed towards what we can do and accomplish. I can entertain myself out of feeling what's really going on, but we can have it in an instant. But God is calling us down the long path of discipleship, of, of bearing our cross, picking it up every day, facing reality, knowing that the Spirit is within us. Jesus has shown us a path, and that the path ends with knowing and being with God. I think for college students, this is like the, the crux of why it's so difficult to stay faithful in college. Because in, in college, you're going from semester to semester, things are changing, the schedule's changing every semester. You're being thrown in all these different kingdoms, all these different allegiances. Will this make sense of the brokenness of our world? Things are happening so fast. You're gaining new friendships, internships. You leave for the summer, you come back. It's ever-changing, constantly moving. But that's typically not how the formation of God works. Right? It's a long and slow path, so I encourage you to wait to see the fruit. It takes years and years and years. But so many times college goes by in four to five years, and we get lost in the instantness of it, the, the immediacy of it. I want to read this quote to you about this. Uh, you know, Smith is a big fan of uh, Tim Keller. He quotes him a lot. Uh, but my, man, my main man is Eugene Peterson, so you're going to hear some Eugene this morning. He says this, One aspect of world that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Today's passions are for the immediate and the casual. So our next one, what's the offering here? Worship the immediate. Take what we can have now. And the lie is that take the path that does not require suffering, discomfort, or pain. That's what the devil is offering here, right? You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to be rejected or beaten to have your kingdom. You can have it now. But that's not what our, our souls need. They need the long, slow path of discipleship of Jesus. Uh, I want to kind of pause here for a moment because, um, you know, I think there's this kind of sometimes we understand, you know, well, what's going on with this, this temptation with the devil? Does Jesus, you know, is he just betting on the right horse? Right? That's what I mean by this. Uh, I think sometimes we may see this temptation as a logical thing. Well, it's like, like yes, obviously uh, God's kingdom of heaven and earth is eternal. It will reign forever. What the devil is offering uh, Jesus here is, is not its cheap imitation. Right? So I think sometimes it's like, well, Jesus had faith. He knew that this was the right Thing. And that's true. There is something to faith and obedience. But I want to make sure we see that this was not just a logical decision, but a decision of the heart. Um, he, he wasn't just putting his investment in the right thing for later on down the road. In this moment of decision, he knew that his heart was directed towards the Father. It wasn't just intellect. It wasn't just logical, but it was sincere allegiance to the Father. 
And I think this is how our, our souls and our hearts work, right? In, in moments of temptations and decision-making, we don't always choose the most logical path, right? Like, I know if I binge-watch Netflix for 12 hours, I'm not going to feel good at the end of it. But yet, sometimes we still do it. Sometimes our logic does not play out. But what God is calling us to is that our hearts are in the motion and direction of the Father. So let's, uh, for a moment, I want to ask the question, um, was, this, was this offer legitimate? Like, is, is the, the authority and the kingdoms of the world something Satan can actually give? You know, is it, what's going on here? Um, but I think when you look at scripture, this is something that the devil may be able to give. John 12, 31. He's called the prince of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, the god of this age. So it seems as if, like we've talked about, um, this, this offer here seems to be, yes, uh, the devil can't offer something. We know it's a cheap imitation. It's not eternal life. It's not heaven and earth. It's just the world. But he does have something to offer. And I think we see that a lot in the book like Revelation. When you look at making sense of what it means, a lot of it's kind of this political thing going on in the background. But Satan is at work. He is ruling my salon. There we go. Uh, but he is, uh, has something to offer is uh, to offer Satan or offer, offer Jesus here. If you worship me, it will be yours. I want to kind of step back and ask the question: Why does the devil change the script here? Notice in our first temptation: If you are the Son of God, then do this. And our third temptation we'll look at next week: If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. But in this one. The devil comes kind of at a different tactic, right? He, he kind of gives him a distraction. He does a slide of path. Look at these kingdoms. Look at the authority and glory I can give you. If you worship me, then these will be yours. So why does the devil remove his sonship, Jesus' sonship, and the devil from this temptation? And I think it's because we all feel this kind of tension, right? Because you might get like, I, yes, I get it. I need to worship God. I don't need to worship these other things of control and self. But I make thousands of decisions every day. I get exhausted of choosing the right path all the time. In those moments, God sometimes just feels distant. It's, it's hard to remember, like, which is my path of allegiance, which is the heart, you know, the direction of my heart. But I think that's what the devil is doing here. Forget your sonship. Forget God. Because why would we worship God, or why would we worship the devil if God is right there? But in moments throughout the day, we get caught up, and we lose track. We forget that God is what's near. And that is what I think is going on here, is that in the second temptation, for any success to happen, sonship, identity, and God has to be removed. So we get distracted by the kingdoms, the authorities that we see around us. Let's, let's talk a little bit about how I think this shows up. Uh, shows up in our life, especially. Um, I think it does with our prayers, with our prayer life, and, and this is what I mean. Because in our uh, the lie here that God is, is being told about God is that God, if, if God is not good, if He is not fair, then we need to have our own backup plan. If God is not active and living in our lives, moving in our life, then I have to take control of myself. Um, Paul Miller wrote a book called uh, The Praying Life. And in it, he's talking about uh, raising children. He's given this context of you know, uh, parenting. They have this one child who just, you know, there's this behavioral thing happening every 
single day at the same time. There's just this thing they could not fix. They read books. They went to conferences. They could not figure out what was going on with the situation. And he writes this. Many parents, including myself, are initially confident we can change our child. We don't surrender to our child's will, which is good, but we try to dominate the child with our own will, which is the head. Without realizing it, we become demanding. We are driven by the hope for real change. But the change occurs because we make the right moves. Until we become convinced we can't change our child's heart, we will not take prayer seriously. So you see, it's uh, prayers show us either where our hopelessness is, where we have to rely on God, or where we're not praying shows us where we're still kind of in control, where we're worshiping this identity of, um, I can make this happen. And I think a lot of times we, we see this and, well, that's just too little of a thing. You know, there's just this one moment in my child's day we can't figure out, but, you know, God, that's too little for you. We'll figure that out. I can handle that. But God is saying, be fully in my presence. Give everything over to me. So sometimes we may pray for our, our child, but we may not pray specifically for this one moment. And we believe, God, work in this moment. So I want you to think about your prayer life. Where are you praying? Where are you not praying? And that might be an indicator of where the direction of our hearts are going, where our allegiance and obedience really lie in particular moments of our life. I think another way we see this is in our exhaustion. And this is kind of part of the lie here of, about ourselves. That we forget our, that we are sons and daughters made to be in the presence of a loving Lord. That our kingdom that we are meant to live in is His kingdom, not kingdoms of anything else. But I want us to think about how exhausted, how tired, how worn out we may be feeling. I think we see this a lot with our younger generations. Um, there's this movement of you go off to college, you uh, kind of step away from your, your parents' kingdom, that structure, that system that you grew up with, to maybe see, is there another one that makes more sense? Is there something that will bring me the good life, bring flourishing? So we go off to college, and there is a wide variety of things that we can give our worship to. It can be our careers, it can be this relationship, maybe it's a, a political party, but then we realize, well, no, I don't love my job, I'm entry level, I just kind of do it for the, for the money. Well, that relationship didn't work out, and dating, you know, online dating is really difficult, it's actually kind of the worst thing ever, I'm not really going to find it there. Uh, well, really, you know, politics are tough, because almost everyone seems corrupt, so I don't know if I can really put my allegiance in that. But the world in which we live in, we can change from these instantly, one after another, after another, after another. And I, I imagine that's where our exhaustion comes from. It's because it's like having to pack up and change homes every couple of months. Our hearts are not meant to uh, be in one place, give it to another, give it to another, go on and on and on. Our hearts are meant to rest in the presence of the Lord. That's where we're meant to be. And so often it can change so quickly. So is it in our prayers or in our exhaustion where this the fruit might be coming up for us? Where are we gaining control where are we not relying on God? But now we have Jesus' response. Jesus says, uh, answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Zoe read for us from what's called the Shema. It's this prayer found in Deuteronomy 6. Actually, all of our temptations here are being referenced from the book of Deuteronomy. But it's called the Shema because the first word of it, hear or listen, is the Hebrew word for Shema. And it's this prayer that 
was prayed every day by Jewish people. Actually, let's, let's just reread it together. Uh, actually, I'll read it for you because it's not on my slides. Uh, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you'd like to find it in your Bible, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. If you go down to verse 13, that's kind of where our actual quotation, it is written, comes from. Where it says, you shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. So if you've never heard this before, uh, never, you know, maybe try to pray this at the beginning of your day, at the end of your day, I encourage you to try to do so because I think that's, that's kind of what helps Jesus in his moment of temptation. It's not just logic, but there seems to be this formation, this shaping that's happened throughout Jesus' life. And I think it comes through this repetitiveness of saying the Shema. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, growing up, I feel like I heard a lot, well, you know, Jesus fought out temptations because he knew the Bible, right? He had the information, which I think is right. Knowing the biblical story, the narrative, God working in his people, that's, that's what we rely on. The gospel story gives us truth to live by. But I think it wasn't just the information, but it's that the truth of God had sunk into his life. It's something he meditated on in the morning and the evening. He had been told about it from childhood. They talked about it as they walked along the road. It was on their doorposts. It had been immersed into his life. So he did not only know scripture, but he was shaped by scripture. But really not only that, but it had become a habit, a rhythm of his life was to say the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was a small act of obedience constantly throughout his day. It was this moment where his heart was directed ever so shortly, ever so in small ways towards his home, his presence, which was meant to be uh, in the Father. I think we see this again when Jesus is asked, you know, how, how do I pray the disciples? How am I supposed to pray? What are we supposed to say? He says, say, Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus had been shaped by this repetitive motion, this action that happened all throughout his day. And I think that's so important when we think about we make thousands of decisions every day. I, I forget. I just get caught up. But what happened with Jesus in his life, what I think he's calling us to is let us be attentive and to form our life around moments that will push us back towards the presence of God. Again, James Kenny Smith says like this, Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. Intentional about what you love. Notice here, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. These, these two words are interesting how they work together. Uh, worship, like we've talked about, is this uh, allegiance. Actually, if you remember last week, uh, Richard had this tattoo on his arm, Proskuneo. That's, that's the word for worship. Um, and it's like we've talked about, it's allegiance, devotion, it's the giving of self to something else. But this word service here, in other places, is translated as worship. Uh, but it wouldn't have made much sense to do worship and worship again, you know, the repetitiveness. So they use this word serve. Uh, but this word here specifically kind of has these connotations of a priestly duty. What I mean by that is, you know, in Jewish worship, they 
had a lot of things to prepare. They gave sacrifices. They gave, uh, you had to purify yourself before entering the temple. There was these things that had to be done, preparation to worship the Lord our God. So worship the Lord and serve him only. Um, I think that's important because that's what we have here. We have worship and we have service. Worship, I think, shows us uh, how our lives are meant to be formed. They, they, they form you know, how we're meant to walk with the Lord, and then that service just prepares ourselves for worship. It's a cycle of deepening our affection and love towards God. And that's what we want to do here at Oikos, that these grace practices of give thanks, reflect on the Word, ask deeper questions, commune with God, eat together, serve your neighbor. They're all these service that's preparation for our hearts to go back to the worship of the Father. Um, and that's what we hope they do, is that these moments bear fruit in our lives, so in moments of decisions, we're pushed back, moved towards the presence of the Lord. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I had a really uh, tough weekend. Um, we've been trying to have a child out for a long time, and uh, found out a few Sundays ago that we had an early miscarriage. Uh, so really devastating, really hard. But I remember that evening uh, going to bed, and part of our give thanks practice, at least for me, is to give thanks before bed. Uh, not very good at it. I'm probably at like a 60% pass rate on doing it every night. Um, but I remember just in that moment of grief, of uh, processing, the, the Spirit moved me to remember, what, what are you thankful for? And a year ago, I would not have been trying to be thankful in that moment. Right. I, I would not have been, oh, what should I be thankful for? And it was hard to be thankful in that moment. But when we live our lives of service, of preparation, being in the presence of God, we believe that he gives good gifts. That in the preparation, he meets us and the spirit moves us to remind us, worship the Lord your God only. So that's what the graces are trying to do, these preparation moments, these services that continually direct our hearts back towards the Father. And I think that's the hope of the world, is that we live in a world where you grow up and your kingdom, your worship, your allegiance can be to a wide variety of things that are not God, that lead to anxiety, exhaustion, uh, stress. But that's all people know. That's all they know. And not only that, but they live in a culture and a time where their services just deepen that. It's an unending cycle of worshiping things that are not satisfying, living a life that is not satisfying, as it goes deeper and deeper and deeper it goes. That's why grace comes in and breaks that cycle. Only the gospel of Jesus can come and say, no, let me give you a new thing to worship. Let me give you a new aim for your heart, a new place, a new home. But also let me give you the way of Jesus, a life curated to live the way that Jesus lived. It goes back to where the Lord is, the presence of God. <clears throat> Sorry. Let's, let's get into this. Let's end. Um, so what are we being formed by? What are habits that do this? I want to give a few specifically as we come to an end. Um, I think there's a few of these that Jesus does specifically that gets to fighting. It's kind of a counter-liturgy to the liturgy of the world of ambition, control, doing what I can do. Uh, the first is Sabbath. Uh, a Sabbath is a humbling practice if you've never done it before. Because it, when we think that we're at the top of our kingdom, that we rule the world, it's hard to tell ourselves we're not going to do anything for a day. The world's going to fall apart, though. My, my work, my, my friends, all of this is not going to happen without me. But God invites us to rest in his presence, again, being directed toward him. Say, no, take a moment. You are not the king in this world. I am. Be in my presence. 
So I encourage you, if it's for six hours, three hours, if it's for the full 24, find the time of Sabbath to say, I am not going to escape from reality. I'm not going to fill it with TV or video games. I'm going to seek the presence of the Lord, not controlling, but just being. Because that's at the heart of what Jesus did. Yes, we can do things. And I hope you don't mishear me, that these are practices that we do. There is service for preparation. But at the end of the day, all these are about being, not doing. It's about being with God, not what we can accomplish. Because I think sometimes we can believe this lie that I can, I can uh, force myself to be more holy or to be more spiritual. But these are all about being in the presence of God. Second is generosity. Uh, we say our generosity liturgy every Sunday, and we believe that shapes us, it informs us, it tells us to say, I don't have to build up an enormous amount of wealth to feel secure. Right? I don't have to have all these backup plans. Uh, I'm going to be generous with my money, be generous with my time, with my emotions to give to someone else. I'm going to step out of my security because I know God is going to be with me and have me in those moments where it seems like it might not be there. Generosity. So I want you to consider where can I find Sabbath? Where can I find generosity to give to others in my life? I think that counter uh, pushes back and counters against the, the ambition of the world to collect poured up to have control over our lives. Last is daily prayer. This, this is the Shema. It, it's really simple. I encourage you every day. Wake up in the morning on bended knee and say, Father, we will love you only with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. You are the one that I rely on. I'm going to do it again in the evening. It's simple. Twice a day. If you can't find a time in your lunch break, just say the Shema. Say the Lord's Prayer. It's simple, but it's formative. Because it might not feel any different in a day, in a week, in a year, but maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe at the end of our days, we will look back and we'll say, I pursued the presence of the Lord all throughout my days. So Sabbath, generosity, and daily prayer, I encourage you to lean in to those. But let's, let's end with this. It is Palm Sunday, and I do want to talk about it for a moment. Uh, let me read the John text, because in John's uh, account of this, we, we get the palms on the ground, so I think it's helpful. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a, a young donkey and sat on it and went into the city. So it's Palm Sunday, it's the week of Holy Week. We are preparing ourselves for the, the turmoil of crucifixion, but the hope of resurrection. And well, I think this is important to end on because at our temptation moment, Jesus would never have ridden on a donkey into Jerusalem if he had taken the deal. He wouldn't have made it to the cross. We, we follow a Lord and a Son who chose the difficult path to the cross. Well, what's interesting here is that we see that, uh, you know, God's people, the Jewish people are, like, they're, they're ready. There's this king who's coming. Let's put down our uh, garments. Let's put down these palm branches in this kind of uh, moment of worship. The king is coming. But we see that he comes in on a donkey and not on a war horse, not on a stallion. Because we, we do see that there is this, yes, this is the Lord. This is the king of, of Israel. But I wonder, though, if their worship was maybe a little bit misaligned. Uh, these palm branches has this kind of very close uh, symbol to uh, kind of national hope. Uh, you know, 
uh, God's people at this time were being kind of oppressed, pushed down by Rome, by Romans. Um, and part of this hope was that Jesus was going to overrule it. Let's, let's get this out of the way. So they laid down palm branches, this very national hope. But again, what we see is that Jesus pushes against that. I, I've not come for that type of kingdom. I've not come for that type of world where we're taking, but I've come riding on a donkey. So we have this uh, kind of two contradictory things, the donkey and the palm branches, this national hope that Jesus says, I'm coming in on a donkey, his servant, humble. So even at this moment, Again, Jesus is saying, I rely on God, not on what people think of me, not what I can take, not the authority, not the glory, but I'm waiting on the Lord up until crucifixion, and then even more so up until resurrection. That's Palm Sunday. It's this expected arrival. I pray that you spend time this week uh, rejoicing that the king has walked into Jerusalem. I remember this week, be mindful of what he does. He, he gives the table for us to take together. He that's some amazing, amazing teaching in like John 15 through 17. I encourage you to go read that. Uh, but I pray, and my hope is, that we rely on the Lord, that our hope comes from Him, that He is our home. That's the kingdom, that's the system that can only make sense of the brokenness in which we live in. Well, let me pray, and we'll be done. You can go get your kids. Holy Father, we are an astonished reverence towards your glory. That you are a king who sent his son to be among us. Who Jesus, the Messiah, was human, who felt pain, who had temptations, who at moments may have desired to take the easy path, to not suffer. We chose the long road to you. We pray that we follow in his footsteps that we do not seek ambition, we do not seek control, we don't seek to escape, but that we lean into reality, what is your kingdom, what is your presence, and we know that that is what brings satisfaction to our hearts. That is what brings joy, that is what brings meaning and purpose, and nothing else will do. So Father, we pray that the Spirit moves in us daily, that it continually guides us towards your, your home, your, your kingdom, that in moments of decision-making that you give us the strength to remain in your presence, that you do not feel far off, but that we intimately know you, that we, we look to be present in this moment, not looking towards the future, not looking how to speed past time to get to something easier, but that we are present in this moment, and that that brings us to life because you are in it. Father, we thank you for the grace that opens our eyes, that awakes us to the ways in which we have been relying on other things. We thank you for the practices of Jesus that teach us to counter this way, this, uh, this living, that we lean on you, Lord. Love to, love to uh, be in your presence every single day. We thank you for uh, grace. We thank you for truth. We pray that you be with us in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go get your kids.